Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. I'm just going to talk to you guys a few minutes tonight about something that's probably on everybody's mind. Uh, A dirty four-little-letter word right now that starts with a T and ends with an E, and before your mind goes to any place that's too bad, it's the word time. And right now, time is a terrible thing for us in this holiday season. It is incredibly hard to find time, and sometimes throughout the entire year, it's incredibly hard to find time, but especially it seems like where we're at right now. We are always pressed for time, trying to find more of it, trying to rearrange things in our lives, trying to give time to every single thing that pulls at us in one direction or the other. It's time, time, time. When I was a kid, in summer mostly, uh, my mom was still at a stay-at-home mom until I was about third grade, and we had a routine every summer. About 11 o'clock every morning, my mom would make me lunch, which consisted of a Brunschweiger sandwich, if you guys know what that is. It is actually a liver pate that is cut up and put on bread. I did not find out that's what that was until I was an adult. (laughs) Had I known, I wouldn't have eaten it. But she would do that every day, and she would sit me down in front of the TV for lunch, and I would love watch one episode of I Love Lucy, one episode of The Dick Van Dyke Show, and then immediately following was her favorite show of all time, Days of Our Lives. (laughs) Now... Don't ask me why my mom let a young child watch Days of Our Lives. I'm sure I was probably playing and not paying attention to it. But if you've ever seen this really terrible soap opera, it always begins with an hourglass. And their theme is, like the sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Now, seeing this as a kid, I became obsessed with hourglasses. I just thought they were the coolest thing. I would go into every one of my parents' games that they had and pull out the little hourglass timer and use it for stuff. So every time that we wanted to play a game, it was always missing. But what I would do is I would set it up in my room and I would challenge myself. And these little timers were about two minutes. And you could flip it over and I would say, in two minutes, I'm going to pick up every piece of clothes in my, in my bedroom and throw it in the clothes hamper as quick as I can. And I'd flip the timer and I'd run around and go, oh, I made it just in time. And in my head, my imagination, if I didn't get it done in time, the bad guys would come and the world would end or something like that to challenge myself. But I I got obsessed with these little timers. And you guys all know what they look like because you have one on your chairs. But I have one right here. This is more like the one you would see on on Days of Our Lives, if you would see at the beginning. This is a three-minute timer. It drains sand very, very slowly. Drains it at a rate so that it comes to about exactly maybe 10 seconds off of about three minutes. It's very accurate for it. And back in the day, before we had electronic timers, these were used quite often. They were used to cook food or to do certain tasks around the house. Everybody had a timer, a sand timer like this. But taking in mind just that little catchphrase from that terrible soap opera that's still around to this day, like the sands through the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. It falls. It doesn't stop. There's nothing you can do except flip it back over when it's done and and restart it over again. But gravity pulls the sand down through and there's, there's no end to it. It just keeps pouring. So thinking about time right now in our lives and, and where we're at in these seasons, I wanted to find something scriptural that really took a hold of the concept of time and what it should mean to us as both humans and believers. And I don't think there's any better verse than Psalms 90:12, And that is going to kind of be the theme for our little lesson today. 
Now, before we go into that, this is from Moses. This is Psalm 90. This is uh, the only psalm credited to Moses in there, and most historians do believe it is accurately Moses's. There is some debate as to when he wrote it. Um, Moses lived about 120 years, and mathematically, his life was pretty much broken up into thirds. Um, about the first 40 years was in Egypt, uh, next 40 years was in Media, and then 40 years after that, wandering in the wilderness. So if anybody knew anything about time and, and waiting for things to happen, it was Moses. He had to deal with it a lot. So Psalms 90, um, a lot of historians believe it was probably written in the time that he was in the wilderness. You kind of juxtapose it to some of the other things that he wrote at the time. It kind of makes sense regardless of where it is at his point of his life going through three very harsh things growing up as an egyptian when he wasn't growing up in egg or moving into exile and then being lost in a wilderness for 40 years these were things that were very very challenging in his life and time became a factor to him now before we get into this i want to read a couple of uh, verses from psalms 90 before we actually hit verse 12 to kind of give you a background of where moses is in all of this so let's look at our notes here that you have in front of you. We'll start with the scripture in Psalms 90. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all our generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Thou turns man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. And when it's past, and as a watch in the, as, uh, like as a watch in the night, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourishes and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and it withereth. So the first line in your notes right here, Moses is recognizing before God that time is an element of man and that God is eternal. That is a concept, I don't know if you ever did it as kids or even as adults, where you tried to think about when did time start? <laughs> you think back to that time has always existed. Or was there a starting point for us? Time started with the creation of man. God is eternal. He set things up. Yes, we do have it delineated throughout the Bible that there was a, uh, the seven days that were set up. And, and for the time of man, we understand what a day is for that. But time is a man concept for us, for a God who is eternal. And Moses is stating that to you right now, or stating it to God right now as this becomes his prayer. Number two in your, your notes right here, in context, verse 3, when it's talked about returning, man returns, is not redemption, but instead is referring to returning to the dust as in man's death. Now Moses is getting very serious now with this prayer, talking about how man returns. If you read this verse on the surface, it sounds like redemption, man returning to God. Oh, this is somebody who's walked astray and now has turned their life around and is coming back to God. But what he is talking about right now is man returning to the dust of this earth, returning to where he came from. And this puts a whole deeper spin on what Moses is praying for right now. He is understanding our time is very limited on here. Yours is not God. And that's something very, very important to take. Moses continues to emphasize the importance of time and the futile resistance to its passing in the following verses. And we are going to read right here in Psalms 90 verse 9 through 10. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finished our years like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet there boasts only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
Now, Moses was 120 when he died, but look at the recognition of what he considers to be the end of a person's life. He says about 70 years. We've all got about 70 years, and if you're lucky, about 80. And then it's done. And when it's done, it's all been a waste because all we've done is toil and sorrow our entire life. Moses is painting a very dim view of how we use our days. And this is his prayer to God. But we kind of do that ourselves, right? We start to think about how long am I going to live? We start to do what I like to call the familial math in our, our heads. Let's see, my grandfather lived to be 95. Uh, grandmother was 85, so I'll probably be somewhere in the middle about 90. So I got about a good 50 years left, so things are good for me. But Moses is saying, nope, that's not how it works. You might be lucky to get seven, maybe 80, but if you do, it's really useless, no matter how much you have, because all you're doing is just wasting it, working away, and caring about things that don't matter in the world of God. Move on to our next one here, number three in your notes. Moses is not only explaining the fleeting of time and life of man, but explains that our efforts are nothing but futile with the time that we have. But, but I, I do work, and I do good things in my life, and I do try to help people when I can. And I mean, those all seem like really worthwhile things, good uses of my time. They are. They are. But without the involvement of God within these workings, it really doesn't matter. I can go out and help somebody, and then that's great. And I help them, and their life was a little bit better for the day. And absolutely, by all means, it's the right thing to do. But if I missed an opportunity to speak the word of God, to ask a question about their faith, to pray for them, to bring them a little bit closer to an understanding they didn't have before, that's really not going to help in the long run. It might help in the moment, that's great, but in the overall scheme of that person's life, it's futile. So what Moses is saying here is to help us recognize that, help us understand that, that everything that we do without you being involved in it is really worth nothing. So at this point in the psalm, Moses now established that God is eternal, man's life is but a whisper, and everything we do in our life without God is meaningless. However, in verse 12, Moses begs God to help us to understand why our time is so important. And this is going to be our scripture for tonight. Psalms 90:12. This is an easy one to remember, and it's an easy one to pray. Psalms 90:12. so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I want to take two words out of that really quick. Teach and wisdom. What does it mean to teach? Well, to teach is to bestow an understanding or an enlightenment on someone else about a subject that's unknown. That is the definition of it. So I could say, hey, did you know that polar bears, um, actually their skin is black and it's their white hair that covers them up that makes them white? Okay, you guys might have known that. You just thought they were all white through because that's what a polar bear is white, right? It just blew your mind, some of you. That is a scientific fact. So you just learned something. I taught you a fact, but I didn't teach you why. I didn't tell you about how it helps them to absorb heat in the very, very cold winter. I didn't tell you how it helps them to actually camouflage themselves when they're hunting for seals against the white snow. I didn't give you the depth of that. I just taught you a fact. So did I really teach you anything? No. You learned something new, but you didn't gather an understanding of it. That's not what Moses is asking for here. He is asking God to teach us with deep understanding so that we might gain wisdom. We're talking about two different things. Knowledge of a fact, like 
I told you about polar bears are wisdom of understanding the who, what, when, where, and why of that fact. And Moses is saying, teach us that fact so that we can understand wisdom. Why is it important that we number our days before you, Lord? The simple verse is asking God to teach us that our days are numbered, but there is so much more being requested in those simple words. When one is taught something, the assumption is that person will learn a deep understanding. That's the next line in your notes for number four, a deep understanding of the subject and why it's important. Moses is praying for the understanding of why time is important and how it will lead to the wisdom through God. Now, I wanted to take what Moses said because it is such a simple verse, and, and how do we draw to get that deep understanding, to get that deep teaching from our Lord of what it means to number our days? Well, that's really easy. Just say, hey, we don't have very many of them. Let's, let's make sure that we uh, give them our best, okay? That's it. That's what he's asking for. There's a little bit deeper, deeper level to this. So what I did is I took what Moses asked, and I said, how would I paraphrase this to God if I was trying to gain that deep understanding? Perhaps my prayer would be this, and number five, teach us to understand the gift of time. The greatest gift God ever gave to mankind was the gift of his innocent son for the remission of sins, but the second greatest gift ever given was time. Now, you guys may argue with me, and that's fine. Uh, you might say, no, the second greatest gift is the ability to love, or no, the second greatest gift is family, or the second greatest gift is uh, community. All fantastic. I will not argue with those. Those are wonderful gifts. But none of them exist without time. None of them do. It takes time to gain wealth. It takes time to develop friendships. It takes time and to grow, grow and develop understanding. It takes time to be educated. It takes time to form relationships. It takes time to find love. It takes time to form a relationship with God. It's a gift. It's a gift. For one second, let's, let's take the actual thought of time out of the equation and let's put it into money. Let's switch out the time on our watches for dollars that you had. Now, imagine I had five people in front of me and it's three days. For three days, I'm going to give them enough money to get them through for three days to buy food. Now, the first person I give $100 to. Now, that, that person says, hey, 100 bucks over three days, no problem. I'll go buy this, this, and this. That'll get me through. I got it. Life is good. $100. No worries. Well, and the second guy I give 75 to. Hey, 75 bucks. That's not too bad. I can get through that three days. Well, and the third guy I get to 50. Okay, well, I might have to cut some corners here and there, but I, I could get through on 50. I think so. But then I get down to the second to last guy and I give him 10. Oh, 10. Boy, that, for three days? Food for three days on $10? Um, well, I guess I could go do this and I could hit the dollar menu over here and see what I've got at the dollar store over there and I could probably make it work. And then the last guy, I give a dollar. And I say, for three days, you have to eat on this dollar. How precious would that dollar be to that person? This is literally all I have. The guy with 100, hey, I can spend it here and there. I can buy whatever I want. I'll get through, no problem. But the person holding that one dollar, they are now thinking, I've got this limited resource that has got to last me this whole time. What can I do with it? They're going to make sure they don't lose it. They're going to make sure it's in a safe spot. They're going to probably keep it close to their, their body, their heart, and their wallet, wherever they need it so they can protect it. Now let's flip it back over to time. 
I'm young. And you're saying Ryan relatively. No, not me. I'm saying for people out there. I'm young. I'm, tw- I'm in my 20s. I got all the time in the world. I got 100 bucks for three days. Life is good for me. Now flip it over to that person who's 75, holding on to that dollar. This is all I got left. I'm about to say goodbye to my friends, my family, my world. That's precious. But what we don't realize is that gift that's given to us, just like that money given out, there's no monetary value on time. That 20-year-old may only have a day left or a dollar. And that 75-year-old, by the grace of God, might live another 10 years. But every single moment has to be precious. It has to be treated as a gift. And because it is a gift to us, it is a gift that we can give to others. And we have to start realizing that. If somebody goes out of their way to come spend some time with us, it's the greatest gift they can give us. If we spend the time to sit down to somebody who is ailing and say a prayer like we just did with Evangie up here, priceless. It's precious. It's a gift from God. It's so easy to let it just waste away and drain away when we think that we have hundreds of dollars of time, quote unquote. But if we could realize that it is a finite resource that can be taken from us at any moment, we treat it more precious and we understand that those who give it to us are giving us a blessing. God, please let us understand the gift of time. Number six. In your notes here, it says, teach us to understand that time is not a given. Time is not a given. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, or in other words, die, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, as a last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We often have this innate entitlement that we will always have more time. But even if we were to live 200 years, this won't stop the very real fact that our Lord is returning and it could be at any moment. We cannot look forward to the time we might not have but seize the moments that we do to serve God and serve others. There was um, a friend I had years ago. His name was Joe Peckham. And he, uh, his son was in my class when I was teaching. And very nice young guy. He was in his uh, early 30s at the time. And this guy, if like you could do a fitness poster of a guy, this would be him. <laughs> so just like muscles on top of muscles, was in great shape. Um, he was an EMT, but loved to work out, was into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but like super nice guy all the time. And, and every time he would go come to pick up his son, Joey, in the classroom, he would always talk to me. And in the nicest, simplest way, try to give me hints that I needed to get in shape. So he would always say little things like, you know, Ryan, if you would just put in 15 minutes at the beginning of your day and 15 minutes at the end of the day, he's like, you would probably lose like 50 pounds in the next six months. I'm like, thanks, Joe. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> Next day, he would come and say, hey, I tried this like new uh, carbo super boost drink, whatever. If you try it out, you know, it might be good. 
Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Super nice guy. Always best intentions. Liked him a lot. Then one day I came to work, and when I walked to the front door, the director was standing there, and she pulled me to the side, and she said, uh, Ryan, she's like, I have some bad news. She said, Joe Peckham passed away last night. And I remember just, it's like one of those scenes in the movies where you see, like, the wall shrink in with the cameras on you. And it was just an impossible, like, there's, there's no way. And the first thing that goes to your mind is he got in a car accident, or maybe he was trying to save somebody and he got shot or something because he's 31. And like all of this, and she said, no, apparently he went home and, and sat down in his chair and he had a weakened heart valve and it just went. And by the time they got to the hospital, he was already passed away. And if I could have picked one person that would have lived to the age of 120 out of all the people in my life, it would have been Joe Peckham. He was the epitome of what you want to be physically and health-wise in your life. And his time was gone. His time was not a given. He left behind a young son who was three years old and a brand new infant daughter. And we rallied as a community around him, which was great. We lifted up that family. We ended up giving her son and daughter free tuition to our school. We just, we did everything we could to help out with that. But it really made me think, it, it, I'll be honest, messed me up for a little while that somebody that young and that good a shape could just go because God decided it was his time. Time was not a given. Now, I am by no means saying that you shouldn't get healthy and be in shape. Absolutely, and maybe one day I'll listen to Joe's advice. <laughs> but it is not the end-all, be-all thing in life. And if that is your driving force to see the next day, you're missing the point because it could be taken away from you in an instant. In an instant. Going back to Corinthians right here, verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling in an eye, at the last trumpet, that is how quick life is over here for us. If God decides the time is now for me to return, he returns and we have no say in it. I remember when I was in uh, um, uh, like Bible class when I was younger, I, I probably fifth or sixth grade, I had a friend in class and the, the man who was teaching our class asked us, he's like, you know, why is it important to be right, have your heart right with God? And, and one of the friends in the classroom said, well, I know, like, if I'm about to die, that I'll quickly say a prayer, and I'll be forgiven of my sins, and then God will just take me. <laughs> and he said, and, and without hesitation, I remember the teacher said, but what if you're sleeping? <laughs> and the look on his face was like, ah, I didn't think about that. But that is how we human rationalize things. We, we say, oh, there's plenty of time. I'll make my life right down the way. I'll get closer with God when I can. Let me just get this stuff out of the way, and then I'll do it. But it's not a given. In the twinkle of an eye, it's gone. So number seven in your notes here. Teach us to understand that time stops for no one. Time stops for no one. Psalms 39, verse 4 through 5. Show me, Lord, my life's end and number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Now this psalm is from David. David seems to understand the same thing that Moses does. Our life is numbered. Our days are almost gone. I put on here uh, 
teach us to understand that time stops for no one. You guys have probably heard that saying, time stops for no man on there. It's actually, um, there was a mid-century English poet, Geoffrey Chaucer, that wrote it. He said, time and tide stops for no man. And I actually like that one a lot better because he is comparing time to an unstoppable force like the tide. No one can push back the tide. It has destroyed cities and, and villages and has just decimated areas because it is so strong, the power of the tide when it comes in, it cannot be stopped. Well, neither can time. Time is a force that cannot be stopped and it waits for no man. Wealth, fame, popularity, status, titles, all do nothing to stop the flow of time. People try to delay their end of days with the expensive products, the health routines, the finest trainers, the best facilities. And while this might delay the end, the end is still inevitable. I cannot even tell you how many fitness programs I probably tried in my life for this. Um, none of them seem to work very well. But just things like that we try in our lives. People who have a lot of money, they'll do the, um, the tummy tucks and the facelifts and the eye backs and the whatever you call that stuff. Sorry if you guys have done any of that. I'm sure it was great, worked out great for you. I apologize. But it's because they're in a, a want to turn back time. They're really trying to flip that sand timer over the, the other way. And usually what ends up happening is we have a very awkward conversation with those people once they do it. And it's, it's hard to, to understand, well, you're trying to get back something that you didn't quite get, and now it's just kind of weird. And it's because we as humans think that we can stop the force of that tide and that we can turn it back. Every generation before us has fallen victim to it. Not me. I'm the one that's going to stop it. All right? I've got the key. I've got the money. I've got the connections. I've got, I'm going to live to be 150 years old. Like, that's, that's my goal in life, 150 years old. But what happens? It's just like those cities. That tide comes rolling in and washes you away. Because time stops for no one. Let's go to number eight in our notes here. Teach us how to understand when our time is being overwhelmed. Ooh, that's a big one right there. Do we let our time be overwhelmed with us? We, uh, my wife and I, like, before the beginning of every week, kind of sit down and, like, what is coming up for us this week that we have to do? And when we start naming through the stuff, we're like, what did we you got to be joking. we got to do all that stuff this week. we got pageants to do and, and parents' night out at the school and Christmas parties to attend and, and visiting our mothers who are not there well. And, and we're starting to like put all this stuff. And we're, it's like a, the biggest game of time Tetris where I'll put this here and I'll put 10 o'clock here and let's move three over here. And we're trying to put it all in. And then somewhere in the moving of this block, we're like, oh, where's God at in there? Oh, here he is. I'll put his little block right up here. And we'll just move everything around. I'm sure he'll understand. And next week, we'll get you to a bigger size block. We do that. It's probably something a lot of us do here in our lives. We are all busy people, a very busy people. Going back to Moses, there was somebody he really loved in his life and he respected, and that was Jethro. Jethro was a father to him, his father-in-law. Um, obviously, Moses growing up in Egypt, he was under... Egyptian customs and rules and when he married his wife and got Jethro he really had a father who understood him personally from a cultural level and really treated him like his son he tended his father's father-in-law's flocks and and really had a great relationship 
And then when Moses came out of Egypt and, and led the people in and they were in the wilderness, there was a time when Jethro met up with him and was just so proud of Moses and what he had done. And they were so happy to see each other. But within a short amount of time, Jethro started noticing that there's something wrong. Moses was getting burnt out. The people were coming to him complaining constantly. And Jethro was seeing all this as an observer. And he's looking at Moses and saying, okay, there's something wrong here. In Exodus 18, verse 14, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sit as a judge? Why do all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and all these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And then what Jethro goes on to do is advise Moses that he sets some people that he trusts and know God's law to help him out with these little squabbles and that Moses handles the big stuff that needs a little bit more overview, but he lets these men that he trusts take care of the other things and bring that burden off of him. He's telling Moses, manage your time. Find a way around all of this because you're getting burnt out and what the people need, you're not going to be able to provide them. So do something smart. Give this to somebody else. Can any of us use that advice in our lives? I sure know I can. But if I let it go, they might mess it up. Well, so might I if I keep going. If I give it to this person, I have to 100% trust that they're going to get it done. But if I just do it myself, and then I know that uh, you're going to burn out. My amazing wife, who's the biggest support of my life, tells me all the time, it's too much. <laughs> you're going to burn yourself out. Rethink what you're doing. And I'll have to sit down and say, I don't necessarily have to do this. I can put this off a day here. I, I've been able to give my, my mornings to God a little bit more, and I'll talk about it in just a minute. But it's, it's give these things to people and don't feel it a failure that you have to. That's exactly what Jethro is telling Moses right now. Put people in charge that know God's decrees and his will, and then they can help these people. Don't feel like you have to be the one to do everything. Don't feel like you have to attend every event. Don't feel like you have to hit every Christmas play. Don't feel like you have to be there for every single thing that's asked for you. If there's somebody else that can help you with those things, go for that. But start moving those blocks out of the way instead of stacking them on top of each other to make that schedule change. Move those blocks out of the way a little bit. Move that one for God right in the middle and then branch everything off from there. And if you do that, you will stop feeling overwhelmed. Start giving your life to God. Even though our hearts may be completely turned to God, we can still allow ourselves to be overwhelmed. Jethro's teaching Moses to balance his time, but with the help of others, Jethro explaining that no one person is meant to do everything. And what we must be willing to ask for is help when we become overwhelmed with responsibility. I will be the first one to say I have a very hard time asking for help. It is very hard for me. I'm a person that doesn't like to fail at things. Who said it was a failure to ask for help? Whoever put that out there? Well, we put it on ourselves that it is to ask for that. So I'll raise my hand, verse, my, my hand first for this and say, 
I'm the one that needs help the most. Let's go on to number nine in our notes here. Teach us how to enjoy our time. So if it's a gift from God, it's something that can be enjoyed. God doesn't give us gifts that are negative in our lives, unless it is for a teaching example. But God gives us a gift of time. It's something for us to enjoy. Time is a gift from God that is given with responsibility, but also the understanding that it can be used for enjoyment as long as we are enjoying the right things. We should enjoy the time we have with our families, friends, brothers, and sisters in Christ, with our God himself. However, while we are enjoying it, let us always pause to remember how precious it is, and eventually it will come to an end. Um, there was a pre-Socratean philosopher, Heraclitus. He, he said this um, quote. He said, time is, uh, time is a, oh, let me see what my quote on here. Did I write it down? Time is a game. Time is a game most beautifully played by children. I like how he put it that way, that time is a game. kind of is. Trying to figure out how you fit everything in, it becomes kind of a game, like I mentioned with that whole Tetris thing. But it's most beautifully played by children. Do you ever see a child, when they're out playing with other children, checking their watch? <laughs> Trying to see how much time's left? When we were a kid, we had a rule. When the lights came on, we came inside. That was it. You were out playing, building forts, uh, throwing things around, uh, knocking on neighbors' doors and running away, like just doing random stuff because it was fun. Your time was completely taken up. And it was a beautiful thing. There was nothing ever wasted. At the end of the day, as a child, you could look back and be like, man, I did a lot of stuff today. As a person who had taught early education for over 15 years, to see what a child does in class, and then when you tell them that time's up, that look on their face, oh, man. Do we do that as an adult? Oh, work's over, time's up. Oh, man. I gotta go home. Oh, church is over. Oh, man. Well, maybe, hopefully, some of you do. But our time visiting the sick and the elderly is up. Oh, man. But I would say that if you get closer to God, as Moses did, exactly what you'll say. Because you will learn to enjoy your time that you have with people around you, it'll mean something to you. We, uh, my mom's had a lot of health issues. She's probably not got a lot of time left. And yes, that is partly the reason for me thinking of this lesson for tonight, but also just everything going on in our lives. And we, we had to move her into a home. And I say home in the nicest way because it actually is a house. It's a home that only has four other people in it. Um, great staff, great doctors around the clock. Um, it was suggested by her social worker and the doctor both that she have this. And she's happy. She moved in and saw it, and she really likes it. But yesterday, as we were sitting in there, and I was kind of looking around at the other residents, and there's just three other residents, and they're sitting there watching Gunsmoke or some other show that you watch when you're over 65. And I was looking at them there. I was thinking, what happened in their lives? Man, there's a lot of stories there. Man, I bet you they could tell me some things that I never knew before which maybe I get a chance to ask them. But their time is not wasted. 
when it's shared with others, when we take the time to find out about them. We enjoy through others what we've done. And when we give our experience to others, they enjoy through us what we've done in our lives. We share it. Time doesn't become a fleeting thing like Moses is praying against. It becomes a stamp of great accomplishments or things that we have overcome in our lives that we can share with others to make their lives great. And they can share with us. Time becomes a trophy. Time becomes something that is a teaching tool for each other. And it's no longer fleeting or useless. It becomes the most important thing in our life. Help us to enjoy that. We can remember that time does not belong to us. We know that from what Moses said. Teach us to number our days, God, so that we may have wisdom in our hearts. Time does not belong to us. It's not a commodity that we can buy when it runs out. Each minute is more precious than the last. The most effective way to appreciate our time is by giving it to God first. There is never wasted time in service to him. Give God the first minutes of your day, and it will serve as a reminder that every minute thereafter belongs to him, but has been given by grace to you. So use it wisely. I gave everybody a timer. Everybody's got one tonight. If you didn't already have one at home, you have it there with the verse on it. So I'm going to challenge you for the next two weeks, or two and a half weeks, whatever it is, until, until New Year's. It's a two-minute timer, guys. That's it, two minutes. In the morning, when you wake up, flip it over once and give that two minutes to God first. I don't care how you do it. Let that be personal between you and God. It might be in prayer. It might be in song. It might be reading scripture. It might just be in meditation of how you can use him throughout the day to reach others or to help calm your day. I do it in the morning because I feel like my day does not run without giving the first few minutes to God. And it's not to say, oh, look at me. I'm only given a few minutes, guys. I could be giving hours to God a day, which I should. But the first few minutes every day to give to him and say, this belongs to you, and then I'll start worrying about my stuff later that you'll help me through, through that. It will make a difference in your life, I promise you, when you do that. And when you give that first two minutes a day to God, you're telling him this belongs to you, and everything else throughout the day is a gift to me. And that's it. It's a wonderful thing.